The Start. On Demand. On Demand. An about-face from the Amalgamated Transit Union. It was just six months ago that the ATU was asking that their members be prioritized for vaccination. Well, now they're asking the city to reevaluate its policy that all frontline workers must be fully vaccinated by November 15th. Downtown staffing numbers, MPI, Manitoba Hydro, Canada Life, and more are sticking with levels at 10 to 25%. Milt Stiegel joined us to tee up the fall bonus deadline for the HSE Millionaire Lottery. And we had some fun today talking about social norms that drive us bonkers. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, September 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And Loren, I'll tell you, I was driving yesterday. I was heading south... Uh, I was just turning off of Osborne on to Pembina, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I think, whoa, look at that smoke. Where is that coming from? Uh, and then I dove into our, you know, our communications systems and learned what was going on. But, wow, that was some pretty uh, beefy smoke coming out of Point Douglas. Yeah, and it went for hours. And so you mentioned being going, you were going south. I live south of the city and was coming in, and you could see the haze right across the sky. And so I had been hearing that there's this fire in Point Douglas, and they were trying to pinpoint the source and later learning it's a, a warehouse, a vacant warehouse. But it went on for hours, and crews were still there well into the night. And I think that's where Greg is now, just to update us on the situation, because that smoke and the smell in the air is lingering. Greg, are you, are you out and about? I'm out in a boot, just uh, <laughs> heading on to Higgins Avenue here. Higgins Avenue here, where it's closed at Annabella. That would be if you're making your way towards uh, Elmwood and Transcona, wanting to go over the Louise Bridge. That is closed, so you have to take a left-hand turn at Annabella and deke around up to Sutherland. Sutherland then uh, takes you to the foot of the Louise Bridge, and obviously, conversely, if you are coming across the the Louise Bridge into downtown and hoping to take Higgins, that is closed off. Uh, at Sutherland, so you can uh, you'll have to deke around and come uh, Sutherland. You can take that over to Main Street, or you can deke down here at Annabella and get onto Higgins. So cadets are here, uh, lights are flashing. Uh, the smoke that you mentioned, Brett, I noticed it at 11:30 when I left the station. I called the newsroom to find out what was going on because I was. You know, on my way home, I was prepared to go and sort of track down what was happening. And Tristan said that uh, Tristan Field Jones said that we already had a camera crew on the way here to find out what was going on. And so, of course, that smoke billowed for hours upon hours. I got several text messages and phone calls. Hey, Mackling, what do you know? I didn't know very much. And, uh, uh, of course, Loren, you highlighted the fact this is a vacant warehouse. This is, I think, a, a spot that's really been troublesome for uh, Winnipeg Fire uh, Service over the years. And then word that a freight car full of railroad ties caught on fire uh, around 4.30. So if you saw a second round of smoke, that's what that was from. But I can tell you, the smell 
in this uh, part of the city right now, you can. It, it, is it acrid? Is that the word I'm looking for? It is absolutely. You know, there were 10, 10 homes that were uh, that were evacuated. Uh, no word as to whether or not those folks are are back in their homes. I can't imagine that they are at this point with uh, crews still on the scene and just that that smell in the air. I can't imagine trying to uh, sleep with that uh, in this part of the city last night. It was amazing because, um, again, a vacant warehouse, but it was previously listed as a chemical company called Gateway Industrial. And so there could have been different items or leftovers from you know years gone by inside there that caused part of the problem. Then you mentioned those rail ties. In the end, Brett, man, uh, no one was really hurt. There was a firefighter that was treated on the scene for some uh, injuries, but they are said to be doing fine. But 100 firefighters involved and 33 pieces of apparatus so it was a pretty intense blaze and as you mentioned greg they're still on the scene so if people are, are, are wondering if they can smell something or still see something in the air that's what's going on acrid as defined sharp and harsh or unpleasantly pungent in taste or odor irritating good good word there mackling yeah that smoke like when i was when i left the golf course yesterday uh, in la salle um I could, uh, all i could see was this wall of black uh, that, that reached way into the sky. Um, so, the, yeah, that's uh, hopefully that doesn't linger for too long. And uh, you got to imagine, you know, fighting a fire or dealing with a fire on any day is uh, going to be is difficult. But uh, especially yesterday where it was uh, not just unseasonably hot, Loren, but record breaking hot. Yeah, I have friends who are traveling across the country and they stopped near Winnipeg yesterday just to stay, say hello uh, with their son. And um, they're in an old van, you know, making that kind of cool Vancouver to Ontario cross-country trek. And <laughs> they have no air conditioning. And they said, you know, you never would have imagined that coming through Manitoba and the prairies in September, you'd be seeing all this heat. And they're basically following it as they move east. And so record-breaking temperatures that we're talking about this morning. Kayla Evans speaks with Environment Canada every morning. That's our Global News Morning weather specialist and we beat the heat record yesterday according to her notes a high of 29.5 degrees the old record was 28.9 so i'm going to say we smashed it by almost one full degree that record was set back in 1897 greg uh and so yeah pretty interesting to see that happening on late september and more heat today well and you know i <laughs> i put on jeans today put on a t-shirt then i put on a hoodie and <laughs> get outside I'm like what am I doing it's still warm out and I'm standing outside right now there's a little bit of a breeze and you can there, there's a little bit of a coolness inside the breeze but no this feels like uh, a summer morning or the middle of a summer night because uh, it's it's pitch black out here so yeah this is going to be a, another warm day if not hot Brett uh, you know, some of us were celebrating the heat yesterday. Not necessarily you, though. I understand <laughs> it was warmer inside than it was outside for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, a bag of mixed emotions for me right now because it was a splendid day yesterday to be outside. But inside, in my apartment, it was just as warm. It was 30 degrees in my apartment suite yesterday because they've killed the air conditioning in my block and uh, there's nothing I can do about it. I, I just had to sort of <laughs> sweat it out and wait until I came to work. I, I just, I didn't even, like, I didn't sleep with any blankets. I just kind of lied there on top of the bed thinking, uh, if I could just get to sleep maybe for a couple of hours, uh, it'll be okay. The record heat for today, by the way, for September 29th, 
30 degrees set in 1905. So if we uh, tie or break that, we will also tie the record for most days of 30 Celsius in a year. At 35, that record goes back to 1988. Well, we want to talk about staffing downtown. And I sort of thought, Greg, that uh, once things started to loosen up a little bit here, we might see more people specifically in this building. But I haven't really noticed a massive difference I would say a massive influx has not taken place inside 201 Portage to this point, Loren. No, and I think that's going to be the case maybe in that building and many buildings downtown for weeks, if not months, into the future. We're we're talking about this this morning because, of course, we're trying to get through this fourth wave safely, as safely as we can. And so lots of people who were sent home in jobs where they can go home, like myself, uh, are still at home 18 months later. And so here we are. And you know there's got to be many businesses that are saying – just out of curiosity, when are you coming back? Because they rely on us to buy the coffee or lunch or to shop. And so we went asking some of the big players what their plans are for the next few months. Here's what Hydro had to say. Manitoba Hydro, of course, has that big building, their office tower on Portage Avenue in the downtown. Pre-pandemic, 1,600 people worked there. That dropped to 10% occupancy, and it remains there at 10% at this time. So about only 160 people there. Wow. Same goes for MPI. Pre-pandemic, they had about 1,000 people downtown. Right now, about 120, so they're at that 10 to 15% zone. And then we also checked with Canada Life. They're a huge employer right across this country, 3,000 staff members in Winnipeg. They're sitting at just 10 to 15% occupancy and said in an email to me that they have no plans to go past 25% staffing levels for the foreseeable future. So they're, they're just in the low hundreds of people as opposed to thousands of people in their buildings. And Greg, all three of the people we checked in, and this doesn't include the government employees in terms of provincial. We also have city staff members that might have been sent home and still at home. Well, the, these big three, the Hydro, the MPI, and Canada Life, they're looking to bring people back slowly, but that's not going to happen until 2022. So they're going to remain at that 10 to maybe 25% until early in the new year. And then, of course, they're doing surveys like so many companies, including their own, saying, what are your thoughts about coming back? How are you feeling about your safety? Are you in a role where you could stay at home? Are you in a role where we could accommodate a hybrid workspace where maybe you do say a couple weeks at home, a couple weeks at work, or a couple days at home, a couple weeks at work? So all these conversations are going on. And I think that's really fascinating for the employees who are looking to maybe have a bit of both or maybe looking to get downtown. But then that means for all these businesses that rely on that, that's a huge chunk of the, the staffing population, Greg, that isn't changing, not just for the next few weeks, but again, most of them not looking to make big changes until the new year. When you typed out these numbers, Loren, they it made my num- eyes pop out of my head. Like That's startling uh, when you imagine there are only 160 people working in that Manitoba Hydro building right now. I jumped at the chance to come back downtown and to be here in the same building with Brett. Of course, we're not not in the same studio. We're separated to a great extent most of the day, but we get uh, odd times that we're face-to-face, fully masked, of course, and and that opportunity to bounce ideas off of one another and get that creative energy flowing. And then I know there are folks that, never want to come back downtown to work. In fact, one of the larger employers in Winnipeg, who I will not name, I know for a fact that their policy on remote work for years and years, demand, uh, despite demand from its workers, was absolutely not. Well, they've done a complete flip-flop on that to the point where 
you want to work from home, you can work from home. You can work anywhere in Canada as long as you work when you're supposed to work. And then something else that I think we might see more of, Brett, I know we need to get out here, but 433 Main, a lot of people know that building is where you go to get your passport renewed, go get a new passport. Well, that the top 10 floors of that building have recently been renovated and converted to residential rental units, 94 of them. I'm wondering if we're going to see more of that over time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now we want to talk about social norms that drive you crazy. You know, this stems from a BuzzFeed post that went up a few days ago with the, uh, I love their headlines, 23 social norms that should actually be considered very not normal because they're actually heinous. And uh, it's just 23 social norms that people... The the people who submitted to this say should go the way of the dodo bird, such as uh, one of them, I have this cough, but I came to work anyway because I'm so dedicated to my career or uh, not talking about salary, making your kids hug or kiss people they aren't comfortable with. That's a good one. I used to hate that. Ah, Go give give so-and-so a kiss. Like, do I really have to? Get away from me. <laughs> Don't touch me. And kids know. Kids and dogs know who the bad people are. Yeah? Oh, oh that's they been have my a sense. experience. They have a sense. Dogs I know for sure, but kids, you know, uh, you know me and, and kids, I know so, so very much about them, Loren. Just an expert on all things kids. Yeah, but weirdly, I bet you kids flock to you. So, and I don't mean that weirdly because they shouldn't. But like, you don't, you don't <laughs> think you know the rules around kids or what to do, and they're running to you. I guarantee it. Yeah, I guess sometimes you're tall. They you know, know. They, you're like a climbing apparatus in their mind. Yeah, like and, and and because I just talk to them like they're, you know, that they, I don't talk to them like they're kids. It's just like, hey, man, how's it going? What you doing? Um, so tell us a story at 204-780-6868. Give us an example of a social norm that drives you crazy. Like, for example, here's one on this list. Associating relationships with fulfillment and suffering with being single. And as uh, somebody who is single and has been, you know, on and off single uh, my whole adult life, people often think while I am single that I'm some sort of a, a lost puppy that i need to be fixed we Poor must we brat. must find you a girl oh we gotta find you a girl we need to find you a nice girl i'm i'm okay i'm doing okay like, i'm the yeah. same here i'm the, the same here it's like aunties and uncles like oh you seeing anyone it's like no like wh- wh- why do you need to know <laughs> yeah so tell us a story and we've got billy talent tickets up for grabs february 7th at the bert we've got fred penner tickets up for grabs february 7th at the bert so at 9 15 we're going to give away at the very least one of those pairs possibly two we might end up picking two text messages if we can't decide but uh loren what would be one that drives you bonkers one of the ones that does drive me bonkers and this is everywhere now <clears throat> and it's old is uh, people on their phones all the time when you're out with them. Or you have them over and you're all watching a hockey game or Super Bowl or whatever it is and everybody has their heads down so you're not visiting and you're not watching the game or whatever it is you came to do together. So I get that we're all on our phones and sometimes it's by nature at the time of day. You're like, I just have to check this because of whatever I'm doing for my work or my job. But that, that drives me nuts. And it's so acceptable now that nobody says anything, but it makes me crazy. That's a good one. I like it. Jeff Braun. 
Uh, the one I like on this list, well, there's a few, but uh, how about over-the-top gender reveal parties? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us get bugged by that, and I think a lot of us sort of silently enjoy when we hear the stories of, you know, people that get injured during these things because they've, you know, put fireworks in something that shouldn't have fireworks in it and blow up half their house. But uh, And the other thing is, I mean... I wouldn't say I don't care about your baby, but no one really cares about the gender of your baby. No, and by that, I only all I mean is that if you say you're having a girl or if you say you're having a boy, the reaction either way is pretty much the same. Like, it just doesn't make a difference if it's a boy or a girl to anyone other than the parents. And usually even for the parents, it's only because of, you know, oh, do we have to buy pink clothes or blue clothes, that sort of thing. So the, these gender reveal parties anymore. are ridiculous. Like those no, colors are it, supposed to be a, that's also something that should be gone the way like wh- why yeah. does the cake still have to be blue for it to be a boy and pink for I thought we were done with colors that are signed like that too that whole thing I, does I think, stink. I changed my I mind think, I'm with Ron. I think so people only stick with the colors still only so when they're out in public somebody people don't ask if it's a boy or a girl because they just get sick of answering it they're just ah, put blue clothes on them everyone will think it's a boy and there we go. Why did you put a bow in that boy's hair? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. I can't remember which sitcom that's from. Friends. Was it Friends? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I remember going to uh, Friends right after they had their, their second baby, and they brought him home, and he was in the little bassinet on the, the kitchen table, and they're all proud, excited, and I just kind of walked into the kitchen because the boy was sleeping, and I peeked over and said, yep, that's a baby. Um, uh, Forte, what's the one that bugs you? You know what? It's it's tipping, and it's I'm not talking about restaurants or you know a service that a place that provides you with a service. I'm talking about like fast food restaurants or beer vendors. Now listen, I used to work at a beer vendor, and I never understood why somebody would tip me. They would literally bring me the beer to the counter. I would scan it, they would pay, and they would leave me a tip. I'm going why? Like I, I don't deserve this. But for you me, should be tipping them. Well, I don't think no, not no, no. <laughs> No, but for me, it's also like I'm going to the beer vendor and the beer is already costing me so much. Why should I tip on top of that? Or everywhere nowadays, if you're paying, paying with debit, you're always asked, like, do you want to leave a tip? And it's just like, I can't afford that. Mackling, you worked in the service industry for many years. What say you on uh, tipping? I would love to see tipping going go away and not because, oh, I'm out of the business now and now I can save mega bucks. No, uh, because if I could go back in time, I'd love to make 25 bucks an hour guaranteed T4 money. Uh, something that you could take to the bank because uh, servers work hard. They do amazing work. It's not menial labor. There is uh, personality, style, flair involved. And so I would love to see something like that come to fruition. I just don't know if we're ready to see the prices at restaurants go up correspondingly to eliminate tipping in order to get the same quality or level of people doing those jobs but the one on this list does that jumped out for me that does speak to me is the idea that the customer is always right (laughs) because guess what sometimes they're very very wrong and they deserve to hear it and they ought to know it and i would have no problem if i'm being a a dweeb with uh, a clerk or something and they say hey mister you're being a dweeb please stop Oh, you know what? I apologize. Uh, where, 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 where were my manners? A dweeb. So tell I us a story. I haven't heard the word dweeb in a while. <laughs> Sorry. To, he said acrid this morning. <laughs> now dweeb. Greg's on a heater. All right. So uh, toilet paper's Do- paying off. 
As the deadline for many public sector workers to get vaccinated against COVID-19, the leaders of at least one organization has done an about-face on its ask of their employer. So the Amalgamated Transit Union is asking the City of Winnipeg to re-evaluate its policy that all frontline workers must be full of, fully vaccinated by November 15th. You might remember that, I think it was about six months ago, the ATU asked their members be prioritized for vaccination because, of course, drivers and many more parts of the transit service really do interact with the public. Romeo Ignacio is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1505, Greg. Yeah, we welcome Romeo Ignacio back to the start. Uh, Romeo, good morning. How many of your members are pushing back on mandatory vaccination for public-facing workers? Good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, well, uh, we did a survey, internal survey, and we find that uh, about 80% have been vaccinated, and uh, we are looking at about 20% of uh, our membership that um, have either expressed concerns uh, because they can't have it for um, medical reasons or for uh, personal choices. So 20%, do you know what that represents in terms of a number, Romeo? How many staff members? We have about 1,400, or close to 1,500 members. So that would represent somewhere between 250 to 300. So if those 250, 300 people aren't vaccinated and then they have to either go through testing or whatever the rule might be for them, how could this impact the operation of bus services? Are all of them drivers or where do they fit into the system? Uh, we didn't really um, check whether they're operators or uh, members of the planned equipment, but uh, it is concerning for us because uh, either way, it's uh, the service is going to suffer. Uh, now that we are actually, you know, we're seeing a lot of traffic, we're seeing a lot of uh, people taking the buses now, uh, it's concerning that um, we could be losing as much as 300 people. Uh, whether they get uh, disciplined or dismissed, uh, well, that's also concerning, but it's the uh, service that we're concerned about. Um, we already had 86 retirees since last year. Uh, in two years, 86 retirees, and uh, we, we had about 70 who resigned or you know were just couldn't take the job. Uh, and that's 150 already that we lost in the span of two years. You, you said that you didn't check to see if they were operators or if they were other kinds of workers. Why didn't you check? Is that uh, was it a privacy thing? Well, uh, first of all, it's um, it's a, just a survey how many of our members are affected because uh, when we uh, put out the survey, there's concern that the mandatory vaccination will be done that to all the you know all the members. But uh, we're hearing from the city that uh, they're only going after or not going after, but uh, they're only um, uh, m- making the um, mandatory vaccination uh, for operators. So. Uh, there wasn't at that time a need for us to actually delineate between uh, the two uh, groups. But um, just to give you an idea, 1,100 of our members are operators and about 300 are, are planning equipment. So it's still 20% of 1,100 is about 200. That's a big number. Now, uh, it was just six months ago that you were asking transit workers be prioritized for vaccinations and in particular operators Romeo so this is going to feel like uh, an unusual 180 to many listening this morning and I'll tell you this was my first reaction when when I caught wind of this yesterday what do you say to that 
Well, not at all. Uh, we still support the city's uh, vaccination mandate. However, we have to recognize that there's 20% that uh, are, you know, either not going to get vaccinated for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's actually consistent with the population, the general population. I believe we are at 82% vaccination rate for all adults, all eligible adults in Manitoba. So that's very consistent. We just have to recognize that uh, our workplace is no different than the general population. And, and I think uh, there's a report um, that uh, the interim uh, Premier Gertzen is actually uh, recognizing that that is a reality. So we just have to have a dialogue and, you know, continue to talk how to move. Uh, there's no playbook here. So we have to make sure that we are looking after not just the vaccinated, but um, those that are unable or have hesitant, hesitancy towards vaccination. All right. So sorry, before we let you go, Robio, what's next? You've put an ask into the city to review the policy or you're just looking to have that conversation first? Well, we did send a letter to the CAO and the mayor to provide us uh, with clear guidelines, a clear policy, how we are gonna, what we can expect uh, to, de- to to deal with the uh, anxiety, the uh, confusion, and you know what's going to happen to two to two to three hundred of our members. Romeo Ignacio, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1505. Romeo, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate the time, sir. Thanks, guys, for having me. Manitoba Métis Federation says the National Council is no longer honoring the true Métis nation. Yeah, so MMF President David Chartrand is accusing the National Council of accepting members who are not Métis. And this is a move, he says, is weakening the Métis nation. And so the MMF is cutting ties with the National Council. President David Chartrand of the Manitoba Métis Federation joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, Ryan. So what's going on here, David? Well, it's, uh, you know, you've got to look at the historical context of all this. You know, 205 years ago, uh, the Métis flag was unfurled on Main Street just by I mean, Briar Hotel when the first battle took place of our identity and our collectivity uh, as a people. And it was known to our history as a battle or the massacre of Seven Oaks. But for us, it was the victory of Rob Plain. So for, from 205 years ago, uh, we've had a rigorous and challenging history of trying to find and protect who we are. And we've done, I think, a, a superb job of identifying ourselves as the collectivity, the River from AT. And uh, I think uh, even though we've had many ups and downs and struggles to find our place in the Federation, uh, we finally made some big breakthroughs in this country. Uh, we've won many court battles on our rights as a Métis nation. Uh, we won our rights to harvesting. We won our rights in the land claim. And we're winning more and more as we go forward in our, in our pursuit to find our place where do we fit in Confederation? So I think people have seen this now in the East, and they're saying, well, we want a part of that. Uh, we think we have mixed blood somewhere. And uh, because of that, we are Métis now, and we want to take some of those uh, wins uh, on our side. So it's uh, really an identity invasion, identity theft, and uh, that's something we will protect vigorously. And uh, we have taken a position now loud and clear. Uh, my assembly of 3,000 people, unanimous, Lauren, nobody was against it, unanimous, said if Ontario brings all those new people in, because that's just the beginning, the MMF will withdraw from the Métis National Council that we helped build. We built it as the MMF was the founder 
one of the founders of the Metis National Council. And now we have no choice but to leave because they're bringing in all of those thousands upon thousands of people that are not us. They're mixed bloods, but they're our people. Let's dig into that a little bit more, David. Help us understand here. So you're saying that, as we understand it, the Métis Nation of Ontario has registered thousands of members who self-identify as Métis, and maybe that's the big issue there. I don't know. That's what we want to find out from you. And can you also tell us how is that different from what the MMF does in order to, you know, to, to gain status as a, as a Métis person in our province? Thank you very much. Well, the, it really... It took us years and years to put the definition into perspective of who is the Métis Nation. And in 2002, we adopted a national definition that all of us adopted, including Ontario, uh, for them to be part of the Métis National Council. But they would not. They would not uh, abide with it in the last uh, probably eight years, nine years. They've been avoiding it and trying to open the floodgate for new people to come in. Uh, So the citizenship citizenship process is very, very uh, stringent in the process. You've got to do your genealogy. You've got to show your historical connection to the Métis homeland. You've got to show your connection to the families that's here that were, were the ones struggling to protect who they were. But Ontario decided to breach the two, uh, 2002 national definition and create their own definition. Now, that's being supported by two presidents of Alberta, a president supporting uh, Ontario, and so is the Saskatchewan president. And so I never expected that uh, the West would uh, sell out uh, ever their identity. There's some political backroom deals happening. I don't know what they're trying to gain. Uh... Oh, David, are you still there? David, are you there? I think I just heard it. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, you're back. I don't know why I cut off this part. I'm I'm right in the city of Winnipeg. I still cut off occasionally. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how far you were hearing me, uh, but... uh, as I said, the, the issue of the citizenship was defined by the Métis Nation in 2002 by all of us, including Ontario. Uh, they decided now, uh, for actually going back for 18 years, to start shifting that definition and changing it to uh, root ancestries, what they call it now, or voyageur, or, or different phrase, phraseologies they're using to define anybody with mixed blood can claim to be Métis now. And we're saying that that is absolutely not the case. And we have worked too hard, fought too hard, paid the price too hard to define who we are and defend who we are for somebody to come along now, uh, 205 years later, and say, I have mixed blood. I have uh, First Nation blood somewhere inside me. Now I'm 18. I'm entitled to all of the hunting laws, the land claims, and all the things that you guys are winning in the courts. That's really, I think, the bottom line. People are seeing our victories. And now they want to take that away from us or want a piece of it. So what does this actually mean then? Like, does cutting ties with the National Council change things for Métis in this province at all? Oh, well, it don't change. Our MMF is the strongest government of all of them. In fact, the, the protector of the Red River Métis Nation. So when you look at it from that context, the problem they will face now at the Métis National Council because we gave them adequate notice. The 2019, our assembly gave us the direction. We've warned them. If you continue in this pathway, we will leave. And now you have nobody from Manitoba because MMF is a representative of all Métis in Manitoba. We signed that, of course, as you probably were in July 6th with Canada, that MMF is the, is the representative of all the Red River Métis, no matter where they live, in any province. So when we move forward on our self-government here, it's very clear things will not change for us. The problem they will face is they, they can no longer claim to represent the Métis in Manitoba. 
And I don't know how they move forward because they have now become a pan-Aboriginal organization. They're no longer the Métis National Council as we developed it in 1983. So it is, it is a, a major change in the, in the concept and direction. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's identity theft. People want to be, you know, and nobody wants to be us, in fact. In 1982, when Pierre L. Trudeau changed the Constitution to include Métis in Section 35, some people started taking notice to this, and they, you know, East Coast, they started claiming they were Métis. Prior to that, nobody ever wanted to be Métis. So now that we finally have gained so much uh, in, in our advancements, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, the simplest way for people to capture this that are listening on a show that do not notice, ask yourself the simplest questions. The Red River Jig, the Red River Cart, the Red River, the Red River Mischief Language. You know, you'll, the, be, the flower beaded work of our people's old prairie flowers. You, you'll look at all of our cultures uh, that have been evolved from the Red River. Nothing is from the East Coast. Nothing is from Ontario. It's all about the culture of our people, our identity. And if you look at the framework of all of that, including the Métis flag, as I said, was first flown here in Manitoba. Everything was evolved here at the Red River Métis, established our identity, our culture here. And now people are saying, well, we have the flag in our yard, so that makes us Métis. That doesn't make you Métis. You know, you're doing beadwork now. It doesn't make you Métis, you know, because at one time we were called the flower beaded people. And, you know, if you look at the First Nations, I guess the best way they describe us, Katepente Misuat is what they call us in Ojibwe in Soto, which means the people that own themselves. We've always owned ourselves, and we've always protected that. And if you look at these individuals now who are trying to claim us, if they ever lived through the reign of terror that we did, and then and the marginalization, the racism we experienced throughout our 205 years, our ancestors, they could claim if they want to, if they can prove themselves to any of this, then maybe they have a chance. But they can't come close to claiming who we are or even connecting historically and culturally anyway how, who we are. They're part of the Algonquin Nation. They're, a lot of them are French. They're not us. And, and at the end of the day, we, we will do everything in our power to protect our citizens and our nation. We will never sell our identity out to anyone. Thousands of downtown employees who were sent home at the start of the pandemic will not be coming back to work anytime soon. Yeah, so we checked in with three of the big employers in Winnipeg's downtown. Pre-pandemic, 1,600 people worked at Manitoba Hydro's downtown office. Right now, it's about 160. Over at Canada Life, well, where there are about 3,000 staff members in Winnipeg, occupancy is sitting at about 10 to 15%. And in an email, Canada Life says it has no plans to go past 25% of capacity for the foreseeable future, while MPI is also sitting exactly where it was 18 months ago, Loren. Yeah, so pre-pandemic, they had about 1,000 people downtown at the MPI office. That dropped to about 120 in the March of 2020, and it pretty much has remained around that number now. Brian Smalley is with Manitoba Public Insurance and joins us this morning. How's it going, Brian? Good morning. It's going well. Thank you. We were going over these numbers about an hour and a half ago, and it's startling, first of all, to realize how much staff... You know, many of these organizations actually have in the downtown and then where they're at now. So the big question is, when does MPI see that number increasing? Well, we're currently launching a a multi-phased flexible work program. But basically, right now we're in the phase where we're sent out a survey to employees asking them 
their thoughts on coming back to work, what would make them feel comfortable, um, other questions such as that, uh, what, what safety steps the corporation needs to take to make them feel comfortable. Uh, so we're certainly, we, we just launched that now. We'll be receiving feedback from our staff uh, in the next com- coming weeks. And by phase three, we are hoping to launch the flexible work program early 2022. Now, how that's going to look, that's the million-dollar question, how many staff are going to be returning back to City Place. Uh, we're determining all that uh, currently right now. We're interested in learning what uh, staff feel about this, but Brian, I have to ask you, what's the response been from customers of MPI? Have they noted or shared with you any decrease in service level, uh, displeasure with how things are going uh, through COVID-19 and and this change of workplace plan? Well, we've tried our best to best serve our customers. And, and in the early stages of the pandemic, that, that was a little bit difficult, particularly with driver testing. We had a significant backlog. We were not able to do driver tests, obviously, due to the pandemic and how we were going to work our way through that. So that was one of the areas that we did have to work our way through. But moving forward, we've uh, not noticed too many dis- uh, too many disruptions with respect to serving our customers. We still have protocols in place for the customers to come into our service centres. Uh, our staff are obviously are uh, aware of the protocols on their end, masks and sanitizer and social distancing, all those steps that are in place. But uh, we've moved along fairly nicely at this point. But there certainly are staff who want to return back to the office uh, for reasons uh, other than maybe they, they don't have a great workplace at home. Uh, they prefer to work from the workplace. Other staff would prefer to work from home. So we're collecting all that information moving forward. Is there an expectation that it will ever get back to normal, or is it possible that a good chunk of staff will stay home permanently? Well, that, that's the question. And obviously uh, the plans of one, uh, 100% occupancy back in City Place likely not possible, likely not going to happen based on this flexible work program, which will allow employees to choose the best location to, to perform their work and also allowing employees to the flexibility of working from home if possible. Now, note to, to your listeners, some positions need to be performed in the office. So uh, what our occupancy rate will be moving forward, that's very difficult to put, put a finger on. I'm guessing you might be hearing things, and we know different organizations downtown have expressed that desire to see more people come back down sooner rather than later because so many restaurants and coffee shops and and different stores rely on that downtown commuter to support their business. Have you had any requests from the business community saying, like, can you guys give us a a date when you might be at least at 50 percent? Well, we have had discussions. uh, As owners of City Place, we've had to have discussions with our retailers. Uh, and they're, they're very understanding that we're not able to answer questions uh, as best as we could. We can only give them the information we have at hand. But as someone personally who's worked downtown for more than 20 years, uh, when, you, when I go down there occasionally now, it's certainly a big difference. I know you. that's why you're doing what you're doing in the store now. But it's certainly a, a huge difference in terms of seeing the public traffic flow. And uh, obviously the businesses are certainly seeing a major decrease in some of their uh, business operations. But as we move forward again uh, with our flexible work program, we're hoping to return uh, a, a portion of our staff back to City Place. Well, Brian, we appreciate this very much. And uh, are you one of the folks uh, working from home or are you at the HQ downtown? Well, I was working at, at downtown uh, right to the bitter end, but uh, due to some uh, uh, workplace uh, reallocations, uh, my workplace was uh, basically turned into a construction zone. So I'm working from home now, yes. 
All right, Brian Smiley with Manitoba Public Insurance. Thank you very much for the time, as always, sir. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Who wants to take a test? Taking tests in school, not something I miss. Greg, do you miss tests? No, no, I don't miss tests at all. Okay. Online tests are kind of fun, though, even if they make you stop and ask yourself some tough questions. And that's what testbias.com is all about. And it was developed by our friend, psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, who joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Raymond, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, man. So, listen, this, uh, this site you've designed, it's designed to test unconscious bias. We've talked about that over the years, but give us a refresher. What is unconscious bias? Well, unconscious bias is really a set of decisions that we make based on information that we have or don't have. And often that information is incorrect or missing, and it tends to pull our emotions, our thoughts, and our behaviors in a direction based on that thought. Now, if that thought or that belief is incorrect, it'll pull our emotions and our behaviors in ways that are not necessarily very helpful. So I've taken one of these tests uh, developed by a, a psychologist in the United States uh, with regards to narcissism, and it's a fascinating uh, reflection. Tell us about this yeah. test. How does it work, and, and how honest do I need to be with these answers in order to get the, to <laughs> yeah. get the, the, the answer that most, is most reflective of who I really am on this front? Well, the purpose of the test is really is just a mindfulness-based tool, right? It's, it's, ca- it's meant to help us be more aware of the bias we carry. Uh, I would say that the source behind a lot of institutionalized racism, especially with most well-meaning people who are perpetuating it, is that they don't have the insight into their own biases. And so this, this tool was developed for that purpose, is for people that to have this really honest conversation with themselves. And that means a really harsh and frank, honest conversation with yourself. But... But more so, it, it allows people a private place to do that. Because, you know, admitting bias can be a really difficult thing for a lot of people. There's a lot of stigma attached to it. But we need to start somewhere, and, and that's where this, this tool comes in, is to allow people to have that conversation with themselves. So, for example, I just took the test uh, in the commercial break there, Raymond, and it has the first question might be, um, which one of these people do you think have tattoos? And then it's images of four people. Um, one might uh, have brown skin, one, one might be wearing a sari, one might be white, you know, or at least that's how you would quickly identify them. And then you're going to decide from that, you know, what, what bias might lean you towards, I'm guessing, your answer. But what was interesting yeah. is at the end, it's not telling me that I do or do not have these biases. It's trying to walk me through the pictures and saying, well, why did you choose that? And so that's a very different way than some tests. Some tests might come back with a, boom, you're a narcissist, you're this, you're that. And that's not the goal here. That's not the goal. The goal is just to start to be able to ask those questions of yourself, you know, and, you know, you're presented with the, with the actual answers. Like this test took a lot to develop because we actually had to integrate, we had to get a lot of information from the people who, who modeled for these photographs. And we had to take elements about who they were and integrate it into their test. And that's what this is, is just to be able to start to ask yourself these questions. There's a sense of complacency a lot of us have when it comes to bias, when it comes to racism. And this is meant to create a sense of mindfulness. So we don't, we don't just become complacent and live our lives. And we understand that how we think and how we see the world has an impact on how we engage with it. We're able to design the test, Raymond, in a way where any of your own potential biases didn't sneak in? You know, it, absolutely it's possible. But, you know, I, what we do in these kinds of things is that we run it by other people. 
so it's not that this is a full-on kind of, you know, uh, bona fide test. This is a tool to be mindful. But what we do is we psychologists and scientists run things through other people. So there's more than one set of eyes looking at them from different backgrounds. And so I had colleagues who had a chance to look at them and comment and say, okay, well, this or maybe this. Um, so and, and it's also what took so long because you want to make sure that you're not like I, I found myself, okay, well, I've put too many of these questions in. I've got to scale these questions back and be a bit more broad, make sure. So it, it was in itself a mindful process for me as well. I, I find um, or found when I was taking the test just the almost uncomfortable answering some yeah. of the questions, in fact, <laughs> because it's like yeah. you, you would ask a, a like um, – I, do you mind if I say, like, uh, what, what, which person uh, looks Jewish? I, I don't know. I, I don't think any of them do. I don't really <laughs> find myself thinking that way. So is it as much a conversation starter as anything else, Raymond? You know, Greg, what, what you're saying is what a lot of people are feeling. A lot of people are saying they feel uncomfortable, including people of color. And, and it shows that we've internalized certain things. And there's been a couple of people who've been very frustrated and angry who are responding very emotionally on social media who are saying things like, you know, this is forced choice. Uh, how am I supposed to know? And while that's true, you know, we, we're making forced decisions all the time in our lives. What this test or this tool really does is it makes us more aware of that. And that awareness can sometimes make us feel very uncomfortable because we're coming front and center with that, with that choice that we're making. But we make choices very quickly all the time. And that's why it's called unconscious bias or implicit bias, because we're not aware of it. But this tool makes us aware of it. And you're right, Greg, it does make people feel uncomfortable. But that's the point. If it's making us feel uncomfortable, then we need to start having a conversation with ourselves. Why is it making us feel uncomfortable? Yeah, I thought it was great. We have just 30 seconds here, unfortunately, Raymond. But this is applicable not just in, in our biases towards maybe race or ethnicity, but you think about the, you know, the kids that get labeled as the good or the bad kid or someone who might be looked at as though they must be rich or poor. It's everywhere. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, not that I want to give away any answers. It's fascinating. We put out a test, like a, like a pre-test for all of this. And uh, and people I knew were answering questions to this. And one of the photo, one of the questions was, which of these people is most likely to challenge Western values? And most of the people answering were people that I knew, and they kept choosing me. So I thought, I thought that was fascinating. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, the website is testbias.com. It's part of his bigger site, leadwithdiversity.com. Raymond, we appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you for, t- thank you for your time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb are asking you about the social norms, the social customs that drive you bonkers because BuzzFeed put out a list a few days ago that included things like putting our jobs before our personal lives or making your kids hug and kiss people they aren't comfortable with. The one that drove me nuts was associating relationships with fulfillment and suffering with being single. Uh, that's, I think that... Uh, I'm a single, as a single guy, people I think often feel sorry for me and I kind of wonder why because I'm pretty, pretty happy actually uh, now that I've adjusted to being single. But uh, we've been getting you to text us and Loren, I've re-isolated the text from Jerry uh, just because I know uh, you actually jumped in. You're usually in a meeting at 20 after 8, but you jumped in when I mentioned this text. (laughs) 
Because it's jumped out to me, Jerry. Social norms they hate. Men standing to pee. They refuse to sit because they think it's not manly. But when the door is closed, who sees? Stepping in urine when I need to pee is disgusting. I hate unisex washrooms for that reason. Jerry, you are preaching to the choir, my friend. And it's a great point uh, for if you're using if you have a shared bathroom at work, for example, just something for the guys to think about. And the guys got to sit down too. At other yeah. times, so... Just sit down. It's a great point if you're a mom of two boys. It's a great point if you live with a man. It's a great point if you've just ever walked into a washroom and thought, this defies the laws of physics. Sit down. <laughs> um, Curtis, this one made me laugh. Curtis says, the social norm I want to end is when you text someone, happy birthday. There doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out conversation, and it usually ends up happening from people I haven't spoken to except on my or their birthday. End the charade, he says. You, like, basically, yes. accept the happy birthday and move on? Yeah. Is this what he's saying? Yeah. Oh, you haven't Curtis. talked to him in a year, and then you're saying happy birthday. How's it going, man? I don't know. Do you really care? Do you want a full answer on this question? Yeah. Because it's been a year. Oh, you saw it on Facebook. Okay, well, I'm good. <laughs> Well, if I don't see it on Facebook, there's only about six people on the planet I that I actually know their actual birthday. So, mm, okay, Curtis, that's an interesting one. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I'm going to read one more from Christina, and then Dean uh, is our winner, and we'll re- Greg will read Dean's text. But Christina says, my husband and I just got married two months ago, right after the wedding. The question was, so are you having a baby yeah. now? Uh-huh. This normal question, it's a normal question, but it's so annoying. Mm-hmm. We are not on a timeline. Every time now someone asks me this question, I say, I already have kids. Three dogs, in fact, and they sure are a handful. So, all right, Christina, I'm with you. I'm never asking that question again. And if I do, I'm so sorry because I know how annoying it is. But Dean's our winner because he really can't hit us with a thought provoker. He he sure did. And, Christina, uh, once you have a baby, the next question is, are you having another one? (laughs) Uh, At some point, Dean says, children started calling teachers and parents by their first name. This may not be a popular opinion, but I despise this new social norm. When my kids were young, I would introduce them to adults and say, this is Mr. Mrs. or Ms. fill in the blank. And then the adult would correct me. They say, oh, don't call me that. That's my dad's name or my mom's name. Call me their first name. Arg. In my family, it was sort of this is auntie or uncle. Same with teachers. This deserves a much longer discussion than a text. How about you guys and gals at CJOB discuss the pros and cons of both sides and come up with a winner and solve this social norm or Brett can do one of his polls. (laughs) Sorry, long text. Stay well, everyone. Dean, you'll be very well. You are our winner today. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, you could become Manitoba's next millionaire, but you're going to have to hurry. Well, this is where I always fail because I'm not ever quick enough to get my name in for some of these draws, but the prizes are so great. And tonight at midnight, this is why we're talking about it. This is why I work to a deadline. Tonight is the deadline to get in on the fall bonus in the HSC Millionaire Lottery. Last year's lottery sold out early and in record time. And Greg, man... Tickets are already 70% sold, so we're moving towards a sellout even more quickly than we did last year. Yeah, Loren, it's actually to the point that one of the most popular ways to purchase tickets, it's the 8-pack for $500. It's almost sold out. So you'll have to get your tickets today to get in on the fall bonus deadline. It's valued 
up to $38,500. There are all sorts of choices always, including $32,000 cash. That includes grand prize draw. Go to the website, hscmillionaire.com, and you can see all the grand prize options including $1.2 million tax-free cash. There's also that tremendous 50-50 as well, Brett. As of an hour ago, I have the inside scoop on this. The 50-50 is at $715,000. Somebody will become a Manitoba millionaire. Why not you? And you can't win without a ticket. You can't win if you don't play the game. And a man who knows a thing or two about playing and winning the game is former Winnipeg Blue Bomber great Milt Steagle. Good morning, 85. Good morning. How you guys doing? Always terrific. Even better when we can speak to you. Hey, let's uh, do this. The last night in the CFL was a perfect case for you just never know. Ottawa Red Blacks won their first home game in 12 tries versus Edmonton with a rookie quarterback at the helm. Just goes to show that uh, sometimes you just have to play the game to find out. Yeah, and, and that's why they line up and play the game. And, and I tweeted this out. I think the Ottawa Red Blacks, for the rest of the year, they want to play the Elks every single game because that's the one team they can beat. So, you know, I think Paul LaPolice finally got a nice night of sleep because before that I'm sure he was stressed out. But it was good to see them win. Uh, but now we just have to see what happens the rest of this year. But they're still in the playoff hunt. I know they only won two games, but they're still in the playoff hunt, which is good, which is real good. Mel, did we see on social media in the last couple of weeks that your eldest son, Chase, is driving your Winnipeg-born son, Colin, to school? Yes, I I know. It's crazy. I'm I'm losing my mind, and my wife, she's ready to – I don't know what she's ready to do because she's a nervous wreck. But, yeah, Chase is – will actually be 17 in November, and they go to the same school right now because it's a school that goes from elementary school to high school, and he's in 11th grade, and Colin is in the 7th grade. So – Chase is driving to school. He drives in the soccer practice. He's gone on dates. So it's crazy how how time flies. But we're just hoping that we laid a good foundation and he makes all the right decisions. Oh, man. that's a, This is stressing me out just hearing it. They're not my kids, Milt. So kudos to you for the attitude. I appreciate it. We I Also, was talking about great attitudes, you know, we had Zach Caleros, QB of the Blue Bombers, on yesterday talking about his bye week, and he and his family went up to Caddy Lake. We learned Nick Taylor rented a cottage in Pinawa, Manitoba, during the break. And so, you know, I think these players are learning what you have been talking about for a long time, and that's just how awesome this province is. Without a doubt. And you know what? I, I look back on my career, and I wish I would have taken more advantage of it. I mean, for the most part, I had tunnel vision. I was all about, you know, football and having success with that. I did do some things, but there were so many other opportunities that I didn't take advantage of, and I see these guys are doing I'm a little jealous now. You know, when I get back into town, I try to do a little bit, but it's still not as much as I could have done when I was there. So it's great to see, and it's a great place. Uh, so many things to do uh, outside of Winnipeg. When you get out and you get out to nature, you, you can go see the polar bears. I saw Doug Brown did that some years ago. So there's so many great things to do that hopefully those guys take advantage of. We've been also talking about the connection that this uh, group of players has 
has started to have w- with Winnipeg and with Manitoba. Like Paul Maurice has, has talked about the fact that this group of Winnipeg Jets is the, the first one where sort of everyone's all in with regard not only to the hockey team, but also to the community. And we're seeing that, you know, Adam Big Hill lives here year round. We know how Willie Jefferson feels about the city and Jamarcus Hardrick. It, it's really uh, that connection with the community and the people of our province that is super special for, for people that aren't from here, right? Mel? Without a doubt. And, and that's why I continue to stay involved. I mean, from the moment I stepped into Winnipeg, uh, September of 1995, I was embraced. And I consider myself, you know, not, not just uh, someone who visited Winnipeg, but someone who, who actually has taken in that city and, and that province of Manitoba as my own. And they've taken that back on me. So it's something that's truly special. It goes beyond what can happen. Uh, on the ice or on the football field or whatever sport you may play. It's just so much that goes on with that community, and hopefully those players take advantage of it and understand how important it is. I know uh, there's guys who continue to make it their home. You talk about Adam Big Hill. You think about guys even going way back like James Murphy and those guys like that, some guys I played with who are still there and involved with the community and working there and have their families there. So it's a special place uh, like no other. And I've been all over Canada and there's no place in this in, in Canada like uh, the city of, and Winnipeg and the province of Manitoba. Well, we're honored to be able to speak with you as regularly as we are. And HSC, I know, is thrilled to have you as a spokesperson. So I, I need you to help me with the line here, okay, Milt? It's the fall mm-hmm. bonus deadline. We all need HSC. And HSC needs you. <laughs> Bang on. We didn't even practice that. I did not give you a heads up. Always on top of things. Milt Stiegel, I know I'm going to catch up with you throughout the afternoon as we, we talk to people about uh, why they need to support Health Sciences Centre and the foundation and the work they do. Thanks for everything you do, and uh, we'll catch up with you later on. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, and you guys take care. We are into the home stretch for the Manitoba Motorcycle Ride for Dad, Ride Alone Together campaign, which aims to raise funds for prostate cancer research and education. And there are some exciting things happening over the next few days, so let's get the details from Ed Johnner, who is a founding member and prostate cancer survivor. Ed, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. So thanks very much for joining us. Um, For the second straight year, you couldn't do the big ride in May. Over a 1,000 bikes piled into the parking lot at Polo Park before you hit the road for a ride together. So instead, you've done this Ride Alone Together campaign. But this weekend, you've got something special lined up. What's happening for the wind-up weekend? Well, we're we're wrapping things up this weekend. Uh, We'll be at uh, Polo Park at Earl's uh, Kitchen and Bar um, starting tomorrow from 4 to 8, and Friday 4 to 8, and Saturday 10 to 6, uh, for people to physically drop off pledges if they have. Uh, come by, have a look at the souvenirs. We'll, we'll have all of our souvenirs available for sale. Uh, and just say hi, or pledge, pledge a rider, or, uh, or even register. It's not too late. Ed, uh, first of all, great to hear from you. It's been great to see you on the TV this year as well. You're making the move, eh? That's pretty good. You're a double threat now. 
yeah, big, big step for me. I've always had a great face for radio, but television I'm not too sure about. Well, it's been great to see you and the awareness around the motorcycle ride for dad, in spite of the fact that the event as we know it didn't run the last two years. This has been a, a great way to go about it. And could you have custom ordered better weather for the wrap up this weekend? My goodness. Isn't this fantastic? I have to admit, when I get off the phone with you guys, I'm gone. I'm going for a ride. But uh, no, we, we've got our. Uh, we've also got this weekend uh, will be the draw for the uh, ride along together photo contest, where riders take pictures of themselves, uh, take a selfie with a Manitoba landmark, and for every picture they submit, they get an entry into uh, a contest for uh, a backyard camping setup. A couple Adirondack chairs, a custom-made cooler, gas barbecue, uh, and so on. So it's uh, it's a pretty exciting time. And then Monday, um, October the fourth, we have our fifty-fifty draw, uh, which is now up to forty-six thousand dollars. So uh, we're we're kind of diversifying, um, you know, out of necessity. Uh, and it it's uh, it doesn't quite reap the benefits that that our regular ride does, but. Uh, you know, the, the motorcycle pe- uh, community and the, and the people of Manitoba have supported us so well. It's uh, it's uh, warms my heart for sure. Well, Ed, you've been working so hard on this cause for years, speaking about your own journey as a prostate cancer survivor. And then, of course, all this work on this campaign. And, you know, these things are always much more successful when we hear personal stories like yours. But the effort you put in, I, we're, we've been curious, does it ever get tiring having to share and reshare again and, and push and, and urge people to truly take prostate cancer as seriously as they should? No, never. Um, I know for a fact that we are saving men's lives by doing what we do. And, and I've had men and family members tell me this, and I know other guys in our executive uh, have had the same thing happen to them. And it's uh, every time you hear it, um, it just refuels your motor and, and, uh, and gets, gets, your, gets your motor running, so to speak. Got to ask you this before I forget, the beer, because I understand there's going to be beer as well involved in the wind-up weekend from TransCanada Brewing. Is that the, uh, the straight pipe? Yeah, TransCanada Brewing has just been a phenomenal supporter of ours. And, uh, yeah, they'll, we'll have straight pipe, uh, English pale ale on tap uh, at Earl's um, for people to try out. And, uh, you know, it's an extremely easy-tasting beer. Uh, I've uh, enjoyed a few of them myself. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's uh, TransCanada Brewing has just been phenomenal with us. And, and we, will, we will have it available uh, starting tomorrow at Earl's. All right. How do we get involved? Uh, if I want to get in on the 50-50 draw, you said there's still time. And if I want to find maybe uh, someone that I know uh, or maybe don't know and I want to give them a pledge uh, before things wrap up, where do I go, Ed? Okay. To pledge a rider, go to www.rideforDad.ca slash Manitoba. You can either register or, like you say, uh, pledge a rider even if you don't know them. As a matter of fact, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't know me that could pledge me, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, Anyhow, uh, and to get in on the 50-50, go to www.rideforDad5050.ca and uh, you can order your tickets online. And uh, if you happen to have some photos that you want to download to our social media, 
just go to Ride for Dad MB and uh, get an entry in for uh, that bar- backyard uh, camping outfit. Well, Ed Johnner, I show. Oh, before we let you go, I'd also point out the uh, the tra- the straight pipe beer from Trans Canada Brewing. A dollar from each, uh, at least at the pub that I go to, a dollar from each of them goes towards the cause. And I'd be lying to you if I said uh, you didn't uh, get a few, at least a few of my dollars over the last few weeks, because uh, it's, it's a very good beer. So, bravo no, to I, you, sir. Absolutely, thank you so much. <laughs> We do want to revisit the conversation on transit because on September 14th, this city of Winnipeg announced that it was making vaccinations mandatory for parts of its workforce. Frontline city of Winnipeg employees who have ongoing contact with vulnerable residents, including children under 12, or work in high-risk settings with direct ongoing contact with the public will be required to be fully vaccinated. Requiring our frontline employees to get their COVID-19 vaccination adds one more layer of protection for everyone especially those who are still unable to get vaccinated. Staff who work in identified positions that are required to have a COVID-19 vaccine are expected to be fully vaccinated by November 15, 2021. So that came out a few weeks ago, as you mentioned, Brett, and in that uh, directive to city staff, the city officials went on to say that they are exploring options for people who are not vaccinated, including frequent COVID-19 testing, or they were exploring the possibility of redeployment to a role that is in a non-contact with the public. So they were looking at more details on options for staff, and they said that they would be finalized once they've been able to determine how many employees are not vaccinated. In the meantime, it's trying to sort out the logistics with the province of a testing program for frontline staff. And on many fronts, Greg, we're still waiting to hear how that might work. You know, teachers, if you're not vaccinated, how the testing might work for them, because there's various deadlines for different frontline staff right across this province. Testing might be part of the equation, but that redeployment if there's a certain percentage of staff that are not getting vaccinated, what's going to happen? Yeah, well, and if, uh, as uh, Romeo Ignacio, the president of the ATU, Loken, uh, Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 1505, told us, based on the internal union survey, 20% of its members aren't vaccinated or don't intend to get vaccinated against COVID-19, and that's a number which closely mimics the general population. However, bus operators are in that group identified by the city as being frontline employees who they want to see fully vaccinated by that November 15th deadline. We spoke to Romeo this morning and we got all sorts of information, but what I wasn't sure we qualified, Loren, was whether or not we knew what would happen with the members that didn't comply with the deadline. So I reached out to Romeo after we had him on the program And he says back, word for word, that is what is not clear from the city's directive. I've sent them a letter last week asking them to provide us with a vaccination and testing policy, but they have not responded to date. And once again, 20% of, I think uh, Romeo said 1,400 overall transit you know, employees, 1,100 of which are drivers at 20%. You do the math. It's over 200 operators, Brett, and that would, if those operators can't do their job, that would make a huge or have a huge impact 
on the transit system in Winnipeg. Question of the day at CJOB.com for Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. What should happen to unvaccinated Winnipeg transit operators after the city's deadline of November 15th? So far at CJOB.com, 52% say be suspended, 31% say continue driving with COVID testing, 17% say business as usual. Cast your vote, CJOB.com. Now for Fred Penner tickets at 204-780-6868. We, he's coming December 12th, Burton Cummings Theatre. Here's the trivia question. Single women are more than twice as likely to buy one of these as single men are. What is it? So again, Danielle is on the line first. The question, Danielle, single women are more than twice as likely to buy one of these as single men. What is it? Oh my goodness. Um, Is it wine? (laughs) I, I don't know, but this married higher. woman can tell you that that number seems high these Ratio days. Ratio is higher, I can tell you. That. <laughs> That's a great guess, Danielle, but it's not it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Great guess. <laughs> uh, Mark, do you know what it is? No, I've got a terrible guess. A CAA membership. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a very prudent answer. That's not correct, but... Uh, yeah, that's a good guess. You said that was a terrible guess? That was a great guess. Yeah, I, I liked it. Okay, so here's how Linda gets one more guess, and then Greg and Loren can start dropping hints. Linda, do you know what it is? Would it be a car? No, it is not a car, but also a very good guess. Loren, you want to give the first clue? It's not a car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to figure out a way that it's a pretty, it's a decent, it's a decent purchase. Like, it's not like something frivolous like shoes or wine or all great objects. Don't, don't uh, mistake me here, but it's substantial more substantial than that okay judy single women are more than twice as likely to buy one of these as single men what is it oh hang on i do we just lose okay let's do this i think we just lost judy as i was going to her so we'll try mandy hi do you know what it is your home say that again your home like a house a house is correct Mandy, congratulations. Single women are more than twice as likely to buy a house than single men. I think that's an an incredible statistic, don't you? Yeah. It's fascinating. I think there's, you know, Dean's text message to win the tickets uh, earlier, I think, prompts a bigger conversation. Loren, do you think this prompts a larger conversation as well? I'd be fascinated to know why. We're smarter. I think that's what the studies show. All right. So well, boom. then that's it. That's, that's the end of that. Conversation's over. I don't know. Wow. Really, I, thought gonna, do... I thought we were going to do a whole day of programming on nope. this. We're just, we're just, we have less fear. We're probably saved better. I don't know. We're just better. Is that the answer? Probably. Mandy, do you, do you have any ideas to why that might be the answer? I, I bought my house before any guy I knew. Yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Are you still in that same place? Yes, I am. How long you had it? Close to 21 years. Whoa. Well done. How old were you when you grabbed it? 20 years old. Good for you, Mandy. Well done. Well done. Uh, My wife uh, owned a home when I met her, had purchased a home about a year before. So, yeah, there's something there. Like I say, I think it's a bigger conversation than how you boiled it down, McNabb. I, I just realized that my husband owned a place before me, so never mind. <laughs> it's like, and I'm on my high horse, Mandy, so ignore me. Mandy, congratulations. Enjoy Fred Penner's show, okay? Oh, my nephew would love it. 
Great. So well, I'm going to put you on hold. Andy too. Wow. Going to put Mandy on hold, and Jeff Forte is going to get some details. We'll give more tickets away tomorrow and uh, for uh, Fred Penner and for Billy Talent. I suspect that it could potentially boil down to when guys are single, they're probably just more irresponsible. I mean, speaking for myself, and I'm not speaking for any other guy, but I don't take good care of myself. But when I have had a woman in my life, I took much better care of myself. I was far more responsible so i think that for some guys they just need that kind of equalizing factor loren to kind of i wouldn't want to say get him in line but to actually take life a little bit more seriously i'm trying to actually find if there's like a scientific answer to this but this article that came out in the philadelphia Inquirer earlier this year that talked about all the female ownership they were seeing right across the u.s they looked at 50 metropolitan cities in the United States and in all of them, the single female buyer was driving the market. And so they just talked about anecdotally, maybe willing to be more to jump in, to try to have a bit more stability in life, looking for a long-term investment. They share motivations. I don't know. It just seems to be a thousand words about being better, but whatever. Here we are. Well, have you been to a university graduation lately? The percentage of women graduating from university versus the percentage of men? pretty closely matches the uh, number in that survey as well with regard to how many uh, women would buy a, a, a home, as it turns out, versus men that would buy a home that are single. Uh, it's about two to one. Okay. Well, look at that. Single women, more than twice as likely to buy a house as single guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.